Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. It's always amazing when there is that presence of peace in worship. You know, it's kind of like, you know there's peace when all you can think about is Jesus. You know, throughout the week, we can be bombarded with so many different things and be worried and fearful. But in that time of worship, you know, just seeing him and experiencing him, all those things, you know, you don't really have to cast your cares in that moment because they're just falling off. So today I wanted to talk about keeping your cool under pressure. Keeping your cool under pressure. Now, if I was my dad, I would sing a Queen song. Oh, he never, mom, that was one of her favorite. Yeah, that was mom, under pressure. Yeah. All right, so today I want to talk with you about keeping your cool by remaining in peace. So peace is not the absence of a trial, right? Peace is not the absence of troubles. Peace is not the absence of a storm. Peace is our connection to the presence of Jesus, Peace is our connection to the person of Jesus. Come on. And we just saying he's alive and he lives in us. So wherever we go, wherever we are, we have peace on the inside of us. Are you guys hearing what I'm talking about? All right. I heard how loud you guys got with with William last week. So I know you guys could do it. All right. And you're like, well, if you preach like him, well, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, maybe those were all the visitors, right, that were hooting, hollering. Yeah, that's that's right. All right. So the reason I say connection is because there are times when Jesus is present, but we are disconnected from his presence. Right. Have you ever been there? How How many of you know that he will never leave you nor forsake you? But have you been in turmoil, intense anguish? Sure. Well, let's look at at an example of it. Mark 4, 37 through 38. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. So here's the scenario. Jesus was just done preaching. They, They get in a boat, actually... People follow them. There's other boats with them. They're in the middle of the sea, and there's a storm or squall, a windstorm that starts happening, right? And so it was so bad that the, the, the water was filling the boat. I don't know about you, but I am terrified of the sea. Uh, really, like seriously, Aaron loves to go to the beach, and I think, why would I want to go to a place that I'm lowest on the food chain? That's what I think of, right? 
Or like, I don't know what's, I don't know if there's a fear of not knowing what's under you. I just, I don't like it. You may love it. That's awesome. But in that scenario, I would have even been more terrified, but these were fishermen, right? And so this is the, this is what's happening. And then it goes on to say, but he, he is Jesus was in the stern. So the sailors out there, that's the back of the boat, right? He was in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion or a pillow. Think of a beanbag, I guess, right? So I want you to see the scenario. This is what is happening, right? There is a massive storm, and, pe- and the disciples are freaking out. The, the boat is filling with water, and Jesus is on a pillow sleeping, I don't know if you think that's pretty funny, but that's pretty funny. (laughs) And then it goes on to say, and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Oh, come on. Does this relate to anybody? I know it did to me. So although the, the natural world was in chaos, Although that there was turmoil, Jesus was physically, emotionally, and spiritually at rest. When you're asleep, would you say that you're at rest? So he was physically. Can you sleep when you're emotionally distraught? No. So he was physically, he was emotionally, and of course he was spiritually at rest because he was one with the Father. So all this was going on around him. And he's there sleeping. So can you see this stark contrast between absolute chaos and fear? And this is how I really imagine it. These people were screaming, right? They were terrified. There was confusion because like I said before, there were other boats with them. So guess what was happening? Boats were slamming into one another. Come on, this is the picture that is happening. There was blaming going on. Even when the disciples were not in a storm, they blamed one another. So can you imagine how they were blaming one another? I told you to go get that. Oh, and can you even imagine Peter? Peter bossing people around. It was complete, utter chaos. And Jesus is in the back of the boat, sleeping. (laughs) Come on. So Jesus is symbolizing rest, relaxation, calm, rejuvenation, and peace. But the world around him was in complete chaos. Come on. Does it ever feel like the world around you is in complete chaos? And Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping. And what do they say to him? Teacher, don't you care that we're going to perish? Actually, sometimes we read it, we're like, hey, teacher, teacher, uh, don't you care that we're perish? They were probably yelling at the top of their lungs. Come on. So look at how the disciples perceived his demeanor. Come on. Think about this. 
Have you ever been in a place where you're working and someone's sitting down, relaxing? Does that make you happy? That's one thing that my dad really taught me. If he's working, I better be working. (laughs) That I try to pass on to my children. So these people think that they're going to die. And he's back there relaxing and sleeping. Sometimes we just read over this and we don't put ourselves in that in their position. So was Jesus present in their circumstance? He was, right? Were they connected to his presence? Because what was his presence? Calming, relaxing, restful. Now we know that they weren't connected to that. So the presence of Jesus is the, in that moment was restful and calming and peaceful. So do you see the difference between someone being present and the presence that a person carries? And that is the presence of God that we connect to, we identify with, and we respond to. You see, Jesus was present, but the disciples were not connected to his presence. Have you ever been around someone and their presence added something extra in the room? (laughs) Good or bad, right? Have you ever been around someone? You just feel so loved around them. And then there's ones that you're like, uh, you walk into the room and you're like, okay, I'm going to head back over here. (laughs) Because their presence caused a reaction. Come on. So think about this. Understandably, the disciples, they, they couldn't relate to what Jesus was doing. Could they? Don't you care? And I love how it says it. It says, teacher, don't you care? And if you know anything about teachers, is they're always having a lesson. It's kind of like when your kids go on a field trip. It's never just a walk in the woods, is it? It's looking at the trees. It's counting the animals that you see. There's a lesson. Come on. So if there's a lesson in this, the next logical question would be, why would Jesus be at rest at a time like this? Why would Jesus be at rest at a time like this? Come on. Well, a logical answer would be he's a heavy sleeper. Right? But obviously we know, right? It's like the other day Aaron goes, did you hear those storms last night? Those lightning and thundering? I couldn't sleep. And I was like, no, I didn't hear a thing didn't hear one thing. You know, when Aaron and I first got married, we lived on Center Street, probably like five feet from the firehouse. Never woke up. When the fire alarm's going off, never woke up. Aaron's like, she'll lay in bed and be like, do you hear that mouse up in the the upstairs scratch? I'm like, no, no, I can't. I I think it's imaginary. She obviously hears it. So I don't think that's the moral of the story that Jesus is a heavy sleeper, right? So why is Jesus at rest at a time like this? 
So if it's more than his sleeping habits, what could it be? Let's look at Acts 10, 38. And you know, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the Holy Spirit was the sole source of power for Jesus's ministry. Jesus was dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit in total submission. I think it's really important that we understand this. How many of you need the Holy Spirit to do what you're called to do? Every single one of us. But the truth is Jesus was in total submission to the work of the Holy Spirit as well. Okay? And hint, hint, that same Spirit's in us. Come on. John 15, 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. So this verse also reveals that Jesus had total dependency on God the father, which it was the work of the Holy Spirit that connected him to it. So what does this tell us about the father in this situation? So all hell was breaking loose, utter chaos. Jesus is sleeping. What does that tell us about the father? It tells us that he was at peace, which Jesus expressed. Are you guys getting this? In their world, it was utter chaos. It was fear. It was blaming. It was Peter yelling at the other disciples and the other disciples saying, you're not my boss. Oh yeah, I am your boss. I'll come in the, over there and I'll tell you who's boss. In the midst of all that, the father was at rest, which Jesus expressed. Come on, guys. So Jesus reflected the father through the work of the Holy Spirit. Mark 4, 39, this is, this is after they got Jesus up. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Notice Jesus commanded what he was already manifesting. I'm going to say it again. Jesus commanded peace be still to the sea, which he was already manifesting. And how, why was he manifesting that? Because he was in total submission to the Holy Spirit and to the Father. Do you guys see this? So Jesus is already manifesting heaven. He's already manifesting peace when he commands the sea to be at peace. Now, I want you to also notice that Jesus rebuked the wind, which was, did you know that probably 95% um, the 95% of the waves in the ocean are caused by wind. So Jesus rebukes the wind, which was the cause, and spoke peace to the waves, which was the what? The effect. Could it be that we try to rebuke the waves in our life? We rebuke our circumstances. We rebuke our troubles. We, we rebuke our pain. We, we rebuke the neighbor down the street. <laughs> we, we rebuke the government, but when we should be speaking peace to it. Come on. 
He rebuked the cause. What do we wrestle against? Not flesh and blood, but demonic powers. Come on. So he rebuked the cause. Rebuke means to charge with fault. He rebuked the wind and spoke peace to the waves. Come on, are you guys hearing what I'm saying? The authority that we have as believers come from our submission to the work of the Holy Spirit. James 4, 7, therefore submit to God. Say, submit to God. Was Jesus submitted to God? He was submitted to the Holy Spirit and he was submitted to God the Father. So, therefore, submit to God. What does it say next? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what are we submitting to? We're submitting to his way of thinking. We're submitting to his way of doing things. We're submitting to his truth. We're submitting to his reality. And then from that new way of thinking, we resist the devil. Come on. Remember, Jesus modeled what it looks like to be in submission. Now, you may be thinking, well, yeah, that was Jesus. Let's look at Mark 440. This is right after it. Then he asked them, so he rebuked the wind and the waves, and there was a peace. And then what does he say to them? Why are you afraid? That seems nonsensical, does it not? Does it make sense? Look, look at the situation that they're in. Complete, utter chaos. Fear of death. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? Come on. Then he finishes out, do you still have no faith? So remember, these were experienced fishermen. This was not just some ordinary encounter. But you must remember that Jesus saw his natural circumstances through his heavenly perspective. How many of you have ever flown in a plane? All right. How many of you have ever flown in a plane while it was storming? How many of you have ever flown in a plane and you rose above the clouds? It's a totally different perspective, is it not? It's clear. The sun is shining. It's beautiful. But down below, it could be hurricane force winds, but above the cloud. It could be totally beautiful and fine. So when we see from heaven's perspective, we're raised to a higher viewpoint. Do you think that Jesus could have been at rest if the Father was not at rest? If he was emotionally, and when I think about it, they're in this boat being tossed around, water's everywhere, and Jesus is at rest. He's obviously experiencing something different than the rest of them, right? And that's why he says, why are you afraid? 
Have you ever done something with someone and they were terrified and you're like, I did this 400 times before. I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. The point of seeing from heaven's perspective is not just to see your circumstances differently. I'm going to say this again. The point of seeing from heaven's perspective to being above the cloud, seeing as the Father sees, is not so that you could just see differently. It's so that we should step into the authority that God has given us to speak peace and life to our situation. So it's not like, well, I just see things differently. I see from heaven's perspective. But Jesus arose and did what? He rebuked the wind and spoke peace to the waves. So why didn't the disciples speak peace to the storm? Even Jesus questioned it. It's very difficult to step into your authority when you're consumed by your circumstance. It's very difficult to step into the things that God is having you to release into your circumstance if you are consumed by it. Now, I'm not saying that we're never going to have emotions of it, right? I'm not saying that, oh, because you see from heaven's perspective, it's like you become this this heaven robot and nothing bothers me, nothing affects me. I'm just saying we can see what God wants and we can speak into those things. We can speak from a place of authority. So this should tell us something about our spiritual authority. You cannot release something you don't possess. Jesus gets up and says, I rebuke you, wind. I speak peace to the waves. And what happens? Peace be still. But guess what? He was already manifesting peace before he even spoke it. Are you guys seeing this? But how do we do it? We receive it by faith. So why did Jesus and the disciples have comparatively different experiences? Well, Jesus asked, Where's your faith? Why did they have totally different experiences? Jesus said this is an issue of faith. Jesus was in peace when he commanded peace to be still. So if Jesus is asking, where's the faith? Should we know what faith is? Well, I will say this. Faith, if it's not in the word of God, it's not true biblical faith. You can have hopes and dreams and you can have all these expectations, but if it's not in the word of God, and I'm not just talking specifically, I'm just saying the heart, the nature, the character. If it's not in the word of God, it's not faith. Okay, so I'll just lay that out. So what is faith? It's actually one of the few words in scripture that it actually defines it. Isn't that pretty awesome? The thing that we're actually supposed to live by, it's actually defined in scripture. Pretty awesome. Hebrews 11, one through two. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, what is it? For by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. So the first thing I want to point out about this verse is faith is real enough to be called a substance. 
What does it say? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And substance means that which has actual existence. Remember when Jesus was in the boat? He was tapping into something totally different than everybody else. Right? He was experiencing something totally different. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Meaning you don't have them right in your present reality. But it's the substance. It has actual existence. Faith is not just some abstract idea in scripture. It's defined as a substance. That which has actual existence. So let's look at a perfect example. Hebrews 1.3. This is speaking of Jesus. He is the sole expression of the glory of God. The light being. The outraying of radiance of the divine. And he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. God the Father is invisible, right? But Jesus was the manifestation of who God is. And the cool thing about this is the word nature there where it says the image of God's nature is the same word used for substance in faith is the substance of things hoped for. Are you guys seeing this? Faith has actual existence, maybe not in this realm, but in heavenly realms. So the meaning is that God the Father is the eternal, invisible, original reality of which Jesus Christ, the Son, is the visible expression. So when we look at Jesus, guess what? We see who? We see the father because he is the perfect imprint of the, of God's nature and character. So Jesus is the physical manifestation of God's thoughts, his character, his nature, and his counsel. So faith is the original or the truest reality of things hoped for. So when we live by faith, we're saying, God, what do you see? What do you say? How do you view this situation? I want to knock this person out. Oh, you love them. Okay, well, okay, well, let's, let's rework that, those emotions that I'm feeling right now. Right? I want to respond in anger and rage. Oh, the father's at rest right now. See, that's a very true reality. I may not be experiencing it, but it's true for the believer. That's why we're called believers. Come on. Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it ends in heaven. Was it storming in heaven when they were in the boat? Jesus got up and said, oh, I've been experiencing peace. Let me now command peace to the situation. So Jesus taught us to pray, to pray the true reality of heaven to be made manifest on earth. Faith is referring to a reality or a substance that is hoped for. Do you know, because we have the Holy Spirit within us, the scripture says that we can taste of the coming age. 
What's the coming age? Heaven. Because of the Holy Spirit, we could taste of things to come. Now, I didn't say that you can have the full thing. But I tell you what, a little taste of heaven is good. <laughs> it's a whole lot. So the second thing that this verse tells us is that faith deals with what we cannot see. You know, when the disciples were in that boat, they couldn't, see, they couldn't relate to what Jesus was doing. How do we know that? Don't you care for us? Don't you see that we're about to drown? Don't you see that we're about to die? Don't you see that we're going to become fish food? Don't you care? I understand where they're coming from. I get it. But the teacher is teaching us something. Come on. So faith deals with what we cannot see, where it says the evidence of things not seen. Faith relates to the invisible realm. Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So what is the seen realm? Anybody know what the seen realm is? It's called our five senses. Can we taste it? Can we touch it? Can we smell it? Can we hear it? What's the other? Is there, can you feel, right? So that is the seen realm. That is the visible realm. But faith takes us behind the invisible to the invisible, to the original reality by which the whole universe was formed, which is the word of God, the Logos. The Logos is basically, yes, the written warm word of God, but it's also his character, his nature, his thoughts. It's who he is. But listen to this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. How do we understand it? By faith. Can you see it? No, but faith takes us over to what is invisible and makes it real. The third thing that this verse tells us about faith is for by it, it being the uh, faith for by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. So think about this. Faith is the substance that which has actual existence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen for by faith for by it, the elders obtained a good report. They attained a good testimony. What is that? What is that saying? It's saying that the elders became the physical expression, became the physical manifestation of their faith. Remember, faith is the things hoped for and the things not seen. But for by it, for by faith, they became a good testimony. What does a good testimony mean? People around them saw it. It wasn't just their... Oh, this is what I believe. This is my faith. I know you can't see it manifested in my life because it's more of a cerebral thing. It's saying for by faith, people could see. They became the physical manifestation of their faith. Come on. So by faith, what is in heaven is now manifested on earth. By faith, what is unseen can become seen. 
If you are in a situation in your life where there seems no hope, what does faith say? What does the scripture say? What reality can I tap into and then speak peace? Because like I said, we want to rebuke everybody up and down, but we need to, and this is why it takes discernment, because I don't think everything is the devil, okay? I don't think, um, I think we live in a hurting world and hurt people are going to hurt you. I think we make really dumb mistakes too. Can we take ownership of that? So sometimes we need to rebuke ourselves. Like, God, I don't understand why I don't have the money to do this. Well, you, you bought 50 uh, cases of bubble gum. I just don't get it. There's an enemy out there trying to steal from me. No, sometimes it's just dumb mistakes. But guess what? We can learn these things by faith. It's, the scripture says, by faith you understand something that you have no possible way of understanding how the world was framed. But how do we understand it? By faith. Come on. Let's say you have this amazing automobile that has several hundred horsepower. How many of you would like that? <laughs> All the mothers out there, no, we don't, we don't want that. <laughs> like, I would like a motorcycle, but I have not been allowed since ever to have a motorcycle. So, Travis is like, yeah, I had a couple motorcycles. <laughs> so let's say you have this car that has several hundred horsepower. Now, you could rev that engine up, but go nowhere until the clutch is released. It might have all the power in the world. It might shake the ground. It might make your neighbors upset when you rev it. But until you put the clutch into gear, that power doesn't do anything for you. Now, think about this. This is how it is in heaven. We have the power of heaven behind us. But it takes faith to put it into gear. Like we can be revving it up, revving it up. Heaven on earth, woo! Where the neighbors are like, be quiet, we can't stand it anymore. But we're not gonna go anywhere if we don't put it in gear. And how do we put it on in gear? We connect to something that is hoped for and even not even seen. So in the midst of your storm, where Peter's blaming this person and this person yelling at this person and all hell's breaking loose and things are chaotic, I could tap into a reality of heaven. And Jesus even says, pray, thy kingdom come on earth, on earth, that we experience it as it is in heaven. How do you do that? Wishful thinking. You do it by faith. And I will say something about faith. It's not just faith like, oh, I agree with it and, and I don't change. Faith is taking it and putting action to it. Oh, hell's, all hell's breaking loose in your household. I see peace. 
I feel the peace of God. Now I'm going to demonstrate it to everybody around. I will not be moved because I am on a different, I am sleeping in the midst of the storm. And people might get really upset about that. Don't you care? Come on. But you cannot release something you don't possess. You cannot release hope into your situation unless you receive hope by faith. Are you guys seeing this? So faith takes what is available and makes it actual. So we might have all the power of heaven behind us, but faith is what puts it into gear. Well, what about the reality that I'm experiencing? Does faith deny my personal reality? Does faith say, I, like, nothing bad is happening. No, your house is burning down. Something's happening, okay? So that's not faith to be ignorant or unaware or silly. The truth is there is a collision of two realities. There's a reality that bombards my senses, attacks my mind, assaults my physical body, a reality that demands surrender to fear. How many of you ever experienced that reality? All of us, right? But yet there's heaven's reality. The reality that I'm completely confident in what Christ has done and will do. The reality that I'm rooted in the promises of God and his love for me. The reality that I'm a son of a father that is passionately invested into me. What do I mean that he's passionately invested into you? It means that he will finish what he started in you. God doesn't lose on his, on his investments. So both realities are true. When you're experiencing that, that reality that bombards your mind, guess what? It's very true and it's very real. I'm not saying that we deny reality, our natural reality. But it's up to me to decide which one I will identify with if I want to see heaven manifested in my present reality. Yes, all hell is breaking loose. Everything's falling apart. But what is God doing? What is he saying? What can I manifest that he wants to release? Come on. The truth is we have an option every day. We have an option every day which reality we will identify with. You know what? If, you're, if you've ever been in the midst of a storm or you're in the midst of a storm right now, I just encourage you to look at the back of the boat. What is Jesus doing? Is he afraid? Is he concerned? Or is he sleeping? Come on. Jesus is always present in your circumstances, but are you connected to his presence? John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me, that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. We don't have that one on uh, that scripture in our office, do we? In this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
Sounds a lot like the disciples in the boat, doesn't it? In this world, you'll experience this stuff. In this world, you will be bombarded by uh, a reality that affects your soul and, and affects your body. But, come on, in him, we have peace. So your senses are going to be bombarded. Your mind will be attacked. Your physical body will be assaulted. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So which reality will I identify with? Will I identify with heaven's reality that is yet to be manifested? For by it, what is it? For by faith, the elders became known for their faith. Come on. They became a good testimony of their faith. So the degree that we experience peace is the degree that we place our attention on heaven. Matthew 14, 30. When he saw the strong wind and waves. There it is again, but a totally different example. So this is Peter. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, so Jesus is out there walking on the water, the disciples see him. They first think he's a ghost. And then Peter's like, hey, if it's you, Jesus, call me out. What do you mean, if it's you? I would probably want to be, but that's who Peter was, right? If it's you, I'm coming out, right? So he gets out of the boat. He's walking on the water. And then what happens? This is what it says. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Lord, save me, he shouted. So why would Peter experience a loss of peace when Jesus was standing right beside him? Why? Because he took his eyes off of him. If you are experiencing these things, I totally understand. But I'm saying, put your eyes back on him. Put your eyes back on Jesus. So he places attention on the storm rather than Jesus. When we place our attention on other things, we become afraid. We become overwhelmed. We become unsure of our future. So how does lack of peace manifest in our lives? Consistent frustration. Problems become exaggerated. Hope becomes deferred. Lack of divine inspiration, fear. You guys get the picture, right? So when our attention is on the storm, we will experience these things. But when we place our attention on Jesus, his word and his reality, just like when Peter shouted, Lord, save me, his attention was redirected back to Jesus, which brought salvation, security, and peace. So when Peter shouted, the scripture says Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Come on. So, de- so today, I wanted to encourage you to keep your cool under pressure. So, Lord, we just come before you. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we align our hearts with your truth, with your word, with your understanding, with your reality. And, Lord, even though that we experience these things, even though they might be uh, overwhelming, God, if we fix our eyes on you, if we put our eyes back on you, if we direct our gaze on you, there will be salvation. There will be security and there will be peace. So God, we trust in you. We look to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.